Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode on the Tide Chasers podcast, where each and every week we try to bring something special and exciting to either make you a better angler or for you to at least come away with some new understanding and info. Uh, before we bring on tonight's guest, it's always a pleasure welcoming our co-host, and for tonight is no one other than our favorite professor, Norgard. What's up, Bobby? What's going on? I'm doing well, Qua. I uh, thought after 100 episodes, we'd run out of guests, at least good guests, mm-hmm. but we're starting the new uh, episode here, 101 with a bang, and I can't wait to get into it and meet our new guest. Definitely. I mean, I've been listening to this guest's podcast for a little bit and follow a lot of his stuff that he does for, you know, Albies and Bass and everything that's coming up. But also, you know, some of his stuff in his tackle shop, I've been watching and following pretty too. So he's got a pretty stocked up shop. Uh, but before we in- introduce him, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, check out our last episode. was episode 100 with no one run other than the Fisherman Magazine, uh, Jim Hutchinson. So just make sure you guys get to check that out. And then uh, we're start, We're kicking off the 101 with someone real special. So tonight, everyone, we have an incredible guest on board. Runs a very te- popular tackle shop up in uh, Rhode Island, part of a very important organization. I believe he's a charter captain, too. We'll just have to find out for him. Hosts an, hosts an incredible podcast. And you know what? Honestly, he's just a real fishy guy. Uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce you our guest tonight, Peter Jenkins of Saltwater's Edge to the podcast. How you doing, Peter? Doing real well. That's a that's a great introduction. Thank you. I appreciate I, I appreciate that. I tried to do a little background check. Uh, the charter captain okay. thing. I was kind of iffy about. I wasn't sure, but I just kind of tossed that in there. Yeah. No. No. Uh, the um. Uh, yeah. I. I like you say. I have a podcast too, and I think that that research on the guests that you do up front's a big deal. So, congrats and, and kudos on that. I couldn't agree more. Thank you. Appreciate it, uh, Bobby. Any questions before we get started? No, let's get into it. Let's All do right, it. sounds good to me. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, with each and every episode, we always want to know a little bit background about our guests. And uh, Peter, what's the background on you? How did you pass sure. your start? So, uh, I, grew up in, uh, I grew up in Massachusetts and uh, um, uh, got some time to fish with my grandfather when I was really young. And he turned me on to uh, striped bass. And I remember my first... Uh, you know, time I even had like money in my hand. I was outside a red uh, red top on, in Buzzards Bay, and he sent me in there to go get uh, seven eighths ounce Adam poppers. That was like the one thing he fished with, and we threw it around the Boulder Fields in Buzzards Bay, and uh, that's where my love of fishing started. And uh, then uh, later, um, I caddied for a guy uh, who um, was uh, uh, Ray Bergman, the guy who wrote Trout, the one of the original like uh classic trout books he was his fishing partner and so i'd caddy for him and then 
I'd go to his house and he taught me how to fly cast. So uh, that, that kind of, that, that kind of, those are mentors, really people who gave me gifts and, and I'm still, uh, still enjoying the, uh, the experience, you know, so it's, it's a combination of those two guys got me into salt water and into, into, uh, into fly fishing. And uh, I do a lot of spin um, uh, light tackle uh, surf less than I used to. Uh, and then a fair amount of saltwater fly fishing too. And that's really the focus of the saltwater edge too, is surf, fly, and inshore. So it kind of mirrors my personal interests. Does this mean you're also a good golfer that you caddy around for people? No, I man, I grew up selling lemonade, cutting the grass, uh, shagging for the pro, but I just never turned into a golfer. You know? So you, you, don't good, you, you don't make good lemonade, you don't play good golf. And yeah, right, don't play good golf. But I, you know, I did everything you could do around a golf course. I lived across the street from one. So I, I mean, I sold them lemonade, I cut the grass, I shagged for the pro, I, I did the all of it, save, hit the ball, you know, but it's fun. It's good. But fishing has been a big part uh, all along. And, um, you know, at some points I was doing more freshwater, but uh, living in Rhode Island now, as I have for the last, uh, um, around the water anyway the last 20 plus years it's been more and more very know. cool all right so back fish, in the day when you back in the day when back in the day when you fished with your grandfather right how was the bass population back then the striper population very interesting yeah he kept logs they were hard to interpret but uh you could see the decline uh mm -hmm. in his striper logs that he was keeping and just catch over over is like 18 or 20 years worth of you know, 10 year diaries that he had and he made notes about size and when, um, you know, it, when you crunched all, I thought I was going to learn something, but when you crunch all the data, it's like go fishing in June. I'm like, Oh, well, come on. I just put a couple hours into reading every page of these, <laughs> these diaries, but it's something I already knew. Right, but I that's thought it. you were going to tell me there's like a decoder that came with it and he had it all cryptic and secret that way no one could learn about it. It was a little bit like that. I couldn't quite figure some of it out, even though, uh, I think he was trying to be clear, but uh, yeah, it was it was it was it was a good little exercise, you know. Um, and you know, it ends up your home water. I mean, you just love your home water, right? And uh, it's just a little part of Buzzards Bay, Boulder Fields, and uh, I love it when I get back there to fish. It's great. Very cool. All right, so uh, so we have a few things to cover tonight. Uh, today, um, let's start with your business in Rhode Island. Tell us a little bit about the shop, when it was started, what the shop carries. You know, all the services that, you know, provided or offered. Sure. So, so the Saltwater Edge is celebrating its 30th anniversary. Well, congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. We've moved uh, seven times. Cool. Um, we have a pretty significant internet business as well, but a, a retail store in, in Middletown, Rhode Island now. And um, um, pretty full selection of surf, fly, and inshore products. Um, I think one of the things we chose to do all along was really stick with our knitting. We didn't chase... Uh, you know, we don't do uh, offshore. We don't do any freshwater largemouth bass or, or trout or anything like that. We really stick with surf flying inshore and it served us well over time. I mean, you know, if you uh, recognize that that uh, Google is looking for good information, the fact that I've, you know, the saltwater edges used, uh, you know, wetsuit, van stall, flat wing, fly fishing, albacore since whatever, 1996 or so on the internet, writing about it and talking about it. Google eats that up and we have some pretty strong uh, rankings as a result of that this is what we stuck with our knitting. You know, this is what we love to do and this is what we wrote about and, and, and shot video on and do a podcast about. And it just, 
has been a good um a good uh tool to bring uh make people aware of the saltwater edge so uh it's uh it's been a great ride it's been bumpy <laughs> but it's been a great ride i think it's been bumpy for the the whole tackle industry as a whole absolutely you know, after, after, the, after the past few years but yeah covid I mean, was something for us i mean it definitely uh blew our business up you know some of the online stuff and in rhode island the, the restriction was uh, no more than businesses with two employees. So I did uh, took my team and we did uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and the other crew did uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So we weren't open to the public, but we were able to ship the web orders and do um, uh, what do you call it, uh, curbside pickup, and mm -hmm. you know kept it rolling, kept you know did what we could. Very cool, very cool. And yeah, you're also associated with some of the captains we know, like like Coral, right? You you, you talk yes, Coral. Yeah. She's yeah. literally uh, a couple lives a couple blocks away. Oh, interesting. That's yeah. pretty cool. And then also uh, one of my buddy, one of my my colleagues from the Century staff, uh, TJ. Captain oh, TJ sure. Harris. Pretty yeah. regularly. Yeah, yep. yeah. I talk to TJ once in a while. We're, we're good. So might be a pretty good podcast guest. Yeah, I, I definitely talk. To Very TJ. knowledgeable and 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 uh, capable fisherman and, and variety too. You yeah, know? yeah. TJ's a, he's a really good fisherman, so I'm definitely gonna like, reach out to TJ sooner and like bring him on. Cool. So, uh, yeah. So you carry you carry most of the popular surf stuff, right? And then a lot yeah, of the so, fly stuff. Yeah, a little bit more on that for surf. You know, we do a lot of um, uh, you know, we have a big um, uh, kickoff event called Plug Day in April, where we get you know twenty plus of the best plug builders around, mm -hmm. and um. Uh, we get a tent in the parking lot and uh, give them a table and they have a, a way to, to, to sell their products. We did right. it during COVID when the shows weren't happening. Now we continue doing it uh, here in the spring and that attracts a lot of surf casters. I mean, I got there at four 30 in the morning and there were 70 people in line and uh, you know, it's a big fun day for everybody. Um, and then um, that's on the surf side. And then um, on the fly side of things, it hasn't happened yet, but we'll be doing an event in January kind of called fill the box where we'll get a couple of really good fly. We'll go to a brewery, get a couple of really good fly tires and, and all the fly tie materials in one place and get people together to learn and, and tie and, and get that thing kicked off. So we do a lot of events, but they're focused around or in, in tournaments, but focused around surf flying inshore. Very nice. Those are, those are some cool projects. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's uh, uh, I think uh, more than ever, um, the uh, people, you know, they can buy any, the, every product in the world's a back button away. Right. right? right. So uh, it's about bringing people together and creating community. Uh, I, you know, business philosophy for me is I believe people go to a website or a shop, any type um, to buy something or to learn something. And they're both transactions, right? So mm -hmm. if we produce a video that's helpful to people or have a fly tying event that they enjoy or, you know, it's time to buy their Lamaglass surf rod. Maybe we're top of mind as a result of all that, you know, so it, it, it all works together, you know, but uh, it's more we, we we're focused on the community and um, how our tagline is, you know, uh, we're here to help you make the most of your time on the water. Yeah, that's why I usually go to tackle shops. Right. I mean, I like to support small businesses, but I'm also there to get a lay of the land. Absolutely. Um, and with that, I mean, I have yet to venture over to Rhode Island. I mean, I'm a little bit stuck in the Houstonic and the Sound down by me. But give yep. us a lay down of what it's like in Rhode Island. What's the surf like? Because I know it's very different than the Jersey waters mm -hmm. that we fish the majority sure. of the time. 
Sure, sure. So uh, one of the things that's unique about uh, Newport in particular is uh, when that Wisconsin glacier receded 85,000 years ago, um, it really um, left a lot of rock and deep structure right here around Newport and Aquidneck Island, Jamestown. And, um, you know, uh, when it receded, it created Long Island, Block Island, Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket, all of it is the result of the the glacier, right? And so we have at one point 100 feet offshore here in Newport, it's 180 feet deep. I mean, it's remarkable how much uh, deep structure and hard structure. So, um, you know, early in the season, stripers are on bait and following it. And then in the middle of the season, now is the most middle and the doggiest of it all, you know, or <laughs> August 1, yeah. but uh, they're settled on the structure and that deep structure, the reefs and things like that that we have around Newport, have around Block Island. Westport um, or, or Little Compton, places like that, uh, hold the, the fish through the summer. So uh, we have good, you know, all season long striper fishing. Um, but that's, uh, and so the, the for the surf caster, there's open sand beaches, uh, long South County, long beaches that would remind you of Jersey. And then other places, there's the rocky headlands like we have here uh, in Newport. So a good variety if you're a surf caster. And uh, same if you're a fly guy who fishes from the beach, there's uh, outlets and salt ponds to go with it, um, and uh, it's uh, in, it's a it's a pretty good uh, uh, habitat to uh, have access to. You know that you can you there's variety in your fishing season here for sure. I, I know you said it's year round there. Uh, well, no, I would say more April to November. You know, you okay. can catch them year round if you choose, like salt ponds, um, maybe. Um, uh, uh, you know, back in the back in the back country, but um, that season's pretty. Uh, we think a tax day is the kickoff, tax day. and and probably um, you know Thanksgiving or so at the tail end. Yeah, I was going to say I, if you had to give a day, I mean, for mm -hmm. us in New Jersey, I'll give up a day. It's Black Friday. Black Friday mm -hmm. in New Jersey is just crazy. Mm -hmm. If you're going to pick a day, you go after Thanksgiving. Yeah. What's 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 the day in Rhode Island? Well, I think of it as um, coming up because uh, early in the season, there's a couple moons. Uh, Dave Anderson, who uh, has worked at the Saltwater Edge in the past, wrote an article for us called uh, 38 Days. And it's a way to look at the, the spring and analyze and determine when the best opportunity is. And it has to do with the fish that have migrated here early, having the Chesapeake fish arrive. And it's in that Memorial Day to Fourth of July window. That's not a day. If I was going to pick a day, it would be later in the year, um, sometime um, early September, because the bait's at a peak, probably around the moon in September, the first moon, right? The bait's at a peak. Um, uh, Albies and Benito are here. Stripers are going. Bluefish are moving. All those estuaries and backwater stuff are dumping bait, and it really is a, 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 a peak. Very you know, cool. so That's my favorite time is literally um, Labor Day to Columbus Day. For the variety. I mean, for me, it's like Rhode Island is such a small state, right? But they got, apparently they got a really good fishery. Blackfish, I mean, they call it the land of giants, right? So yes, you got you're absolutely right. I left, I mean, uh, it's, and, and that, that is, uh, you know, generally occurs in the shoulder seasons, you know, less of this, less people um, thinking about stripers and more uh, thinking about blackfish. Blackfish, very interesting because they return to one piece of habitat and, um, the charter captains in, he, in Rhode Island have come together and 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 approached uh, DEM to to um, to uh, 
to maintain a trophy fishery, um, you can come here and catch and keep one, I think over 21 inches. Um, and there's many that go down that are bigger than that. But once you've done that, you can't keep any more above that, right? So, because that would be culling the the trophies out of uh, one spot, you know? Yeah. But uh, let someone catch a trophy, but it also leaves some for the next guy. And, um, you know, the, the charter boat captains are, uh, these are forward thinking guys. They were, they were excited or, or happy to have um, uh, a, a fishery that people drive to, you know, come from Jersey, come from Maine to participate in, right? So um, they took a long-term view. It was, it was and then um, uh, Massachusetts kind of adopted the same thing, which was, uh, which works out pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. We had, we had Coral on here to give us the lowdown on black. Oh, yeah. That's yeah there's a good example of, yeah. uh, of of uh, someone who's who's uh, got their head in the game, and she's got a long term view. I, I really enjoy her, great kid. Me me too. Yeah, but the, but they have a policy on the boat. They let the big ones go. You know, if they catch yeah. a monster, they take a picture and send it home. There's so many yeah. more you can catch for the table and so forth. So, very cool. I want to get into ASGA. Sure. What is ASGA? How are you involved? What are you doing? What's the organization? Sure. Yeah. So um, uh, ASGA stands for American Saltwater Guide Association. And kind of like I just described with the charter guys here in town, um, we um, believe that in order to have a sustainable business in fishing, whether it's a tackle shop, a guide business, a uh, manufacturer, you need sustainable fisheries. And so we work hard to um, to uh, lobby and, and, and work with uh, uh, fisheries managers to um, make sure that the fisheries were, uh, that generate our business and our joy really, um, are, uh, managed for the longer term so that, uh, um, you know, so a business that I, I might build or coral or any of the people that are, you know, make their living this way, um, have a sustainable, um, resource to, uh, to engage with. Right. And, and fisheries policy is just brutal. I mean, it's very, um, complicated um and um you know uh difficult to understand for the layman so one of the things the guide association does um between uh tony who's the policy director and, and will who uh helps uh, us as well with uh policy is we try to take um complex topics and break them down and make them understandable so that the the passionate fishermen can understand uh what's really going on and maybe participate um, should they choose, um, but be an, an informed participant. So a good example of that was with striped bass and ASMFC a couple, uh, not a year, maybe a year ago, they produced like, I think it was a 118 page technical document around the various options they were going to consider. Well, I don't know anyone who could work all day and come home and read that. And if it was, if it was 18 pages instead of 118, it'd still be too long. The guide association took that, synthesized it down to, I think it was four pages, probably double-sided to get it done. But I mean, kept the gist of it, but made it something consumable. And that informed people. And then as a result of being informed, um, when people participated in the process, they received more letters and more comments than they'd ever received before because the public got uh, enough information to make an informed decision. Right. Versus like, holy crap, I don't know what they're doing in there because all the terms and everything else, it's brutal um, to keep up with it. And I'm I'm an interested um, bystander. And to think of what Tony and Will do uh, 
uh, do with most of their days to be pretty tough, but they do a great job of maybe synthesizing and making it more um, consumable by the average average fisherman. And so that's what I'd say our, our, where we create value is um, we have this longer term view um, for people that um, are in this business, whether it's a guide or uh, or um, a tackle shop or whatever. And then for the, 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 the things we kind of believe in resonate with recreational anglers because they recognize they want a sustainable fishery for their enjoyment too. So, um, and then we, like I say, take rather complex things and make them a little bit more consumable. But I'd say that describes what the guide association does. What we're working on uh, is striped bass, bluefish, um, false albacore. And then interesting, you know, been contacted by Georgia, been contacted by Louisiana, by guides there that are asking for the kind of help um, and, and the kind of uh, uh, results we're getting with striped bass, at least in terms of moving the needle, they need that kind of help. And so we've been asked to um, uh, participate down there. So uh, uh, pretty interesting. I mean, just a quick aside, Georgia um, has um, the most um, tidal um, flats uh, marshy flats, you know, um, what do you, I'm sorry, backcountry uh, of anywhere on the, in the Southeast, a bit more, more than any other state. Their neighbor to the North there, South Carolina has like three redfish, 18 inches and Florida has like three redfish, 17 inches, you know, similar rules, Georgia, 10 redfish, 12 inches. Wow. So they have this great habitat and not many fish and nobody going there to catch them because the, they haven't managed the fishery to the quality of the resource that they have. The other two states, Florida is the best in terms of recognizing that uh, fishing drives economy, you know, tourist economy. And, uh, and, and so for us here in, um, in Rhode Island, when I go to Capitol Hill to meet with lawmakers and all, I explain that uh, over half of the fishing licenses purchased in Rhode Island are purchased by people from out of state. You know, that's called tourism. That's those guys that come tog fishing in the fall or come, uh, you know, go block Island to go surf casting. That's tourism. And uh, the quality of the fishery is the reason they come. So that's what they, that's the business side of ASGA. Is uh, you might have mentioned it, but ASGA Rhode Island only or are you? Guys oh, no, national organization. Um, well, uh, I'll take that back uh, as far as Louisiana, which would leave Texas and the West Coast if I got my geography right. Um you know, Florida has a lot of organizations working there. We're more involved by species because that's the other thing. You can't manage species by state. You have to manage them, um, you know, the ones along the coast, like redfish um, and striped bass, albies, you need to manage, um, you know, as a, in the framework of a, of a uh, group of states. Right. But that's, that's kind of it. It's not a super uh, interesting topic, but it's super critical. No, it's really important. I mean, we just had Jim Hutchinson on there who does the same thing for us for the Fisherman Magazine because I don't have the time or day to know what's going on. Um, yeah, he's done a, put a lot of time in and, uh, you know, knows the topic. But that's the, that's a similar kind of thing. You mean, and I would say in, in many cases we might not uh, agree, but the job he does is, uh, is that's it. You know, you take the complex stuff and, and and try to make it more consumable um you know the fishermen honestly not the fisherman magazine but fishermen in general i mean we have a very uh 
large voice if we can coordinate it, right? But I think what happens is the surf guy goes to the surf fishing show, the fly guy goes to the fly fishing show, the 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 they never really the boat guy drives right by the surf guy out on the the jetty. You know what I mean? They're yeah. all doing the yeah. same thing in the same place, but they wouldn't even know each other except for maybe they bump into each other with a headlamp in a parking lot. You know that would be you know, and so if we ever um, coordinated ourselves, uh, we'd have a, a very powerful voice. And that's part of what the guide association is trying to do is is not think of it as by um, think of it as by species. But thank you for asking. It's a uh, hope it wasn't too long winded an answer. Not at all. No, definitely not at all. And the and then you know you mentioned Tony and Will. I mean, if you if you guys really want really that much information, either you visit the website or actually. Uh, they have their own podcast too, the guideposts, and that yes. they they really break down everything you want. Yes. They, they they dig deep and they break down every little detail. If you guys really want to sit in on some really technical stuff, because I've, I've, I've yeah I've, yeah I've yeah. sat in on the guideposts podcast plenty of times to listen, and they really they really dig deep. You know, like just just as of August first, you know that addendum two just got extended. So I mean, yeah. they they're already working on that, and they're already knowing what's. I mean, if you really want to know what's what the whole ordeal why is extended or the ongoing battery you could always check in with those guys yeah i think that you know that was just uh yeah uh, the first you're right and um i think uh they recorded a podcast that night mm-hmm. that i listened to this morning yeah. you know i mean so they really try to um you know give the public information so they can be informed yep because half of us don't understand all the scientific stuff right so they break it all down for us to understand easily Brutal. And the other thing we're getting more involved in, maybe we'll get to it, it would be uh, some of the science projects. I mean, it's really uh, pretty interesting. One of the things, also one of the things that recreational fishermen do, besides not get together with a unified voice, there's not a lot of science about what goes on in recreational fishing. So uh, the Guide Association is trying to uh, trying to, to, to change that. Uh, the project we're probably um, uh, most known for at this point is the Albi project, where we took uh, 73 false albacore and put a transponder in them, the size of a battery, small battery, and they pinged around. They, they'll ping for 14 months, but they, uh, and I'll have a, I have a video that I've already showed you guys that they're absolutely racing around uh, Nantucket Sound. But very interesting, uh, we also did a, a study with spaghetti tags, which is a, um, a simple tag you can put in a fish that that'll tell you more about um, uh, the, their range. Whereas the transponder battery size thing will tell you more about their immediate activities, you know, how far they might move in a day and that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, a couple of those tags from Nantucket Sound were recovered in Stewart, Florida and Whoa. Key West in the past week, in the past two weeks. So, you know, Very they're not cool. our Albies, you know, <laughs> they're, they're uh, North Carolinas and Floridas and everybody's, right? Wait, um, wait. So you're saying in one or two weeks, they travel from your area. All the way down to Stewart. No, no, they recovered no. the tags in the oh. last two weeks. Oh, okay. They okay. were they were tagged last fall. Okay, gotcha. Um, okay. in the you know, and and now they're down there. And what's exciting about the ta- about the transponders, the battery unit that we put in, uh, seventy three fish, was that sixty eight of them tagged because this was not catch and release. This was catch surgery and release. And I think a lot of people think of albies as being kind of delicate, mm-hmm. and uh, they were they're pretty hardy. You know, um, so that's less than a 10% mortality rate from surgery. And uh, those batteries last 14 months. And that was intentional because now soon 
maybe some of those 60 something make it back here and ping again this year, which would be super cool. So there's an array of, of uh, receivers owned by different ones. So the Nantucket Sound ones are for the large part owned by the New England Aquarium, but there's other universities and science aquariums and things like that down the coast. And if your fish swims through their array, they're going to let you know. Okay. Uh, and so pretty soon we'll be able to map more, you know, as we never have been able before, where they're going. Pretty cool. Very interesting science stuff. But um, here's my thing. Why yeah. was the Albi project started in the beginning? Because, I mean, we know Albies, we don't know numbers. Um, mm -hmm. they're, people don't target them for for consumption, right? Mm -hmm. So why, why, why did you guys step in to, um, to try to help out with the management and stuff? Sure. Uh, excellent question. You know, so um, the, you know, striped bass is an important game fish um, mm -hmm. to the, to the uh, charter boat industry and, right. you know, the guides and the shops and everybody. And so, um, you know, you definitely, I would say, you know, spring is the new fall as it relates to striper fishing. The fall run isn't what it used to be. Right. Right. And Albies have kind of filled in there um, for a lot of our captains. And so understanding them better was the reason. Um they are not managed, and neither are Atlantic Benito, uh, by Atlantic States Marine Fisheries. So, um, you know, they're susceptible to commercial fishing and, and without regulation. You know, could be over-harvested as a result of no um, guidelines, no guardrails, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so to encourage um, management, we, the Guide Association, funded uh, two white papers, one on Benito and one in False Albacore, which collects all the current science. And we gave that to ASMFC and uh, uh, we're trying to fund a study which takes uh, a look at the, the states, um, you know, that uh, where they fish for these and takes the NOAA data, that, which is economic data produced every year and extracts the Benito Faults Albacore economic data. So you understand how much money's tied up. And I understand it's over 800,000 trips are focused on Benito and Faults Albacore annually. That's a big piece of a guide's business, a recreational angler's, you know, passion. Um, and so uh, having something out there that's not managed, you know, at all, no, no guardrails. Um, here's an opportunity with a clean slate to get the science and, and build a thoughtful, um, sustainable um, management plan. So that, that's the goal. It's really it, it, kind of a first that at least, my experience with ASMFC that they uh, that who's who manages a lot of our inshore fisheries um, has a chance to uh, start from scratch and, and quote do it right. Yeah, no, it's very cool. Um, I really like. I mean, I'm a scientist myself, so I like learning about all these things. And I think you're right. No guardrails at all with Albies, but just to pick and prod at you a little bit, do you think we need to know about them? I mean, they're one of those fish that's interesting because I don't want to speak for everyone. Nearly everyone I know does not keep them. They don't eat them. They throw them all back. So is there really a concern about population levels with well, them? Or is it just more of a, we just want to know what's going on? I think that I, I, it's closer to that. Um, you know, we don't know where they go. Right. So, um, and they certainly school tightly, which I think would make them susceptible to um, you know, some forms of commercial fishing, you know, big nets, things like that. Right. Um, and, I, it could be cat food, could be 
Um, baits could be, you know, there's a whole bunch of uses for um, um, a fish like that, you know, oily. Um, so I don't honestly, um, I think the idea of knowing more, not knowing, and then waiting on the, on the, on the West wall in, uh, in point Judith for them to show up when and they don't would be, well, shit, <laughs> you know, uh, where, where are they? And we don't have the answer to that. So that's kind of the, it's, uh, it's, uh, um, you know, let's learn something first. Yeah, no, I totally know that feeling because in New Jersey, we had several of those with bluefish. You yeah, know, it was all ready for the spring run, and then it was, well, where's the bluefish? Where they, they didn't show up, and now I think everyone's starting to realize something's wrong because bluefish was another one that we never really cared about, or paid attention to. Right, um, Atlantic States Marine Fisheries is the one that, um, you know, manages the species, and you know, there's a number of you know very good and committed people there, um, but it's it's a it's an organization that really struggles to to take. Um, a long-term view and they'll kick the can down the road policy-wise, you know, but in the end, if I, I'm close, this is not, you know, um, I believe these numbers are correct. It's something like they're responsible for 26 species, 17 of which are overfished, depleted, or condition unknown. So, I mean, and awesome. gone, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, and counting fish in the ocean is no, no, uh, no easy job. Right. So yeah. since it's so uh, hard to maybe um, uh, be certain of your accuracy, I think you got to take a more conservative approach so that you don't uh, get the, you know, miss on the bluefish in New Jersey, for example, you know, I mean, that's, it, it was harvest or might've been, might've been a migration aberration in, in a year. But I know um, bluefish recently joined the list of overfished. That's pretty cool. Uh, so before we uh, move on to how to catch these um, mm -hmm. albies, um, now I, I think you spoke a little bit about earlier. But uh, what are some of these? What are some of the amazing data or takeaways that you guys have learned from you know from albies about so there? Yeah, so far. Yeah. Uh, I would say the first one for me is that they're more durable than we thought. You know. Um, I think people think of them as, as uh, and it's always a good idea to, to, to unhook a fish and get it back in the water, but um, they seem to be on a very small sample size, by the way, of, you know, what, 70 fish, Yeah. Uh, but they seem to have tolerated surgery pretty well. Um, there's that. Um, I was blown away, um, and I would encourage the listeners to look at the, go to your, your show notes, um, and uh, there's a little video there in the Albi Project, and you'll see how they race around it's crazy they cover miles and miles a day and uh you know that day they're not there it's because they're not there <laughs> they're uh you know eight or ten miles away they're at on the other side of nantucket today and they'll be back in falmouth tomorrow it's crazy the amount of ground they cover um that's the those are the takeaways and then obviously connecting as we did the um southern new england fish to the stewart florida fish and the uh, and um, and you know because the, the, they they have a pretty good fishery for jumbo twenty pound albies off of yeah. uh, off of uh, Palm Beach and stuff like that as they do in North Carolina really big false albacore yeah that's pretty insane yeah that's pretty insane though like in Florida waters when you when they catch an albie down there to them it's a it's a trash fish right yes. something they, something they don't want to catch while trolling or whatnot and for right. us up here we go we get albie fever and the first hearing of it. We're up at the 
first light running down the beaches and just looking for them. We'll be out there all day looking for that one pot of fish to pop up. And these guys in Florida are getting 15, 20 pound albies. I think there's, I think there's, um, you know, when they get in some of your other gear, it's a, I know the offshore guys have a struggle when the albies invade their spread. Um, it's really, they are a pain in the neck in that way. Yeah. But, uh, an inshore game fish, boy, you can't do much better. No, definitely not. They, 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 they drive us crazy. We love them, but they drive us crazy. Yes. All right. You're, so you're well, right about Albie fever. Yeah. So speaking about Albie fever, uh, shoot, let's start dipping our feet into these, sure. uh, this insanely crazy addiction because it drives us insane. Um, we call them false albacores. We call, call them Albies, whatever you, whatever anyone wants to call them. Footballs. Uh, footballs. Yep. Yeah, we do call them footballs. So, uh, so let's start. Uh, when's usually viral logs and stuff that we've seen? What when does officially Albie start in Rhode Island? Albie um, you know, it's year to year, and it seems to start, um, you know, uh, around uh, Martha's Vineyard and Falmouth, and and then work its way down to Rhodey. So you might hear of them a week or so earlier in some other places toward the north, like where they're coming in. But I honestly feel when you look at the coast. They really uh, follow the bait right up into um, the mouth of Buzzards Bay, the mouth of Narragansett Bay, around Martha's Vineyard, all these uh, places that are just flushing out bait. Now, this morning, it's August 2nd, right? But it was 54 degrees. And that chilly air this time of year is what gets the bait moving out of the estuary. So if you got, if you uh, are interested in algae fishing, it's just about go time. I mean, we're weeks away at some of the yeah. like you, both you guys are smiling. What do we got? We got Zoom going here. Right. I can see you both. There. Right. <laughs> I, I, some days I, I say I, I'm ready for Albie season, and when it kicks in, I'm just like, oh god, running gun. It's all sorts of crazy craziness. Sure, but sure. um, so I mean, everything that you know, Peter's going to talk to you about today about targeting them. This adapts to anything from the Carolinas up to Maine. So any, anything you learn today, it's it's a takeaway that you could bring to any of those states and be able to yeah, uh, I think chase most- them. Yeah, and I think there's other, you know, there's there's uh, Benito as well, but those, yeah. those kind of, um, you know, Albi looks like a small tuna. It's actually a mackerel, I understand, but uh, a powerful fish. And if you caught one, it feels like a muscle, you know, yeah. and um, it's actually faster than the bonefish and, um, you know, has got excellent eyesight. Um, and the, you know, the research and the, and the observations, there's a guy here, Mike Laptu, who's a diving fisherman, make a great podcast guest probably. Um Cause he's done a shot an awful lot of underwater video and uh, um, you know, he sees squadrons really of six or 60 or more, right. Yeah. They work, think of them as a, like a wolf pack uh, or, or coyotes might, you know, uh, work on a uh, tracking down prey, right. They work mm-hmm. together. It's synchronized. Um, and, and um, um, they, they use their speed to overtake the bait which is not fast and corral it. And then they blitz through it. And that's when people see um, fish blitzing on the top, but uh, most all the time, there's a whole bunch more uh, fish in opportunity um, below the surface, right? But they will use structure like reefs or, um, or, or breachways to um, jump the bait and, 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 and corral it, you know, and that's what makes it so exciting. And, um, they move fast. So you, you, you often, I think you talked about running gun, you'll see people in some boats really putting time into chasing them. I think myself, it's pretty ineffective. Um, once it really gets going, 
but um, I have some thoughts on on how to use um, structure because um, they repeat a pattern. Um, and I believe that they they find a bait ball and they push it against a piece of structure. And that's what everybody sees and races over to. And they're going to use the structure and their speed to consume the bait. But eventually the bait's dissipated and the uh, they're going to then uh, hang around and, and pick off individual pieces. Then go get the band back together, find another bait ball and repeat, you know. And so the question becomes, there's two. What do you do when... It's just, and, and, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there, you know, you'll see Bay anchovies or something like it, just tightly packed and mm -hmm. I'll be stripping through it. It's the most exciting thing, but you throw your lure in there or fly in there. You're the billionth piece of bait. Yeah. You know, it's a very difficult game. So what do you do to improve your odds? A lot of people throw the same size, but a, 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 an outstanding color like Tutti Frutti, which would be pink and chartreuse, you know, so you have a tight bait ball, you're in there. The other thing, and I'm a strong believer in this, is there's a lot of, when you have a tight biomass of sand eels or silver sides or, or bay anchovies or peanut bunker, another great fall bait, um, there's other fish, other predators feeding on that biomass. So you see the small bait and you see the algae, and a lot of people think that's the whole equation. I'd argue that there's other predators feeding on that same biomass right snapper bluefish squid so throw something a uh a uh, uh and, and that's the albi snack is a great example mm -hmm. it looks just like a squid and that's why those things work is um the albies are racing around but they're going to eat one of those predators just as quick uh given the opportunity right and so it's a great uh fly slash lure to um to imitate would be a snapper bluefish maybe or a or a um or a, or a squid when you have that tightly packed bait and you can't stand out because there's you, every year you look in the water and you say, God damn, I've never seen so much bait. But if you could go back in time and look in the water last year, you probably said the same thing. You know, it's <laughs> remarkable how nature kicks out all this bait every year. Blows my mind, you know? And so for us here in Rhode Island, um, Narragansett Bay, uh, it terminates up in Providence. And I used to live up, up that way. And I remember finding a uh, basically an, uh, a perfect replica of a peanut bunker. It was about an inch in size in, in late July. Those fish grow an inch a month. And by October, they're five inches long, four or five inches long when they're off Watch Hill and places like that. So you have to, you know, the bait changes in size, but that's literally the protein that drives the fall run is, is peanut bunker. But you see sand eels, silver sides. Peanut bunker and bay anchovies, albies will will um, you know aggressively feed on them, and uh, when they're all tightly bunched, it's you you need to find a way to separate yourself, whether it's from the crowd by fishing structure, or from the other bait by fishing something that might be feeding on them, as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. And I'm just one of the things we were going to ask you about because. Uh, I mean, everyone has a problem with standing out, as you called it, especially when those blitzes are going on. You can drive yourself crazy. Right. We play the run and gun game all the time. You run up to a blitz, you throw it in there, you nothing. nothing. You can't even imagine it. It's like, how is that even possible? They just ate every piece of bait except mine, right? <laughs> yeah, a couple, couple of thoughts. Mine first would be to throw uh, ahead of the school. Um, um, Albies feed with their speed. 
and they don't turn very well, like a tuna doesn't turn very well either, right? The tail isn't built for quick turns. Um, and so they kind of feed straight ahead. So you want to get something in front of them and leave it on the dinner plate. And so I, like the fly I use is uh, basically a bunny fly. It's a zonker strip and a, and a, and a crosscut bunny wrapped and it's white. Um, there's plenty of other flies, but I, I like to throw that out there and let it settle and they just freight train it. And the same is true if you take a soft plastic, like a, like a snack or, or something light that doesn't sink fast. You want it up in the top, you know, couple of feet of the water column and they just, they'll, they'll just take it on the way by. They smoke it um, on their way to something else. Um, so I like that kind of uh, stunned bait is one way to get ahead of the school and throw something that stays up, but, but will, will, will flutter and fall. And then the other is to, 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 to go below um, and, and fish. Uh, if, um, I mean, they found, they've done studies on Albies and found, up, not bottom fish, what I want to call them. Well, you know, whatever the small bait along the bottom might be, not by by species name, but, you know, those they found those in their stomachs too. So they feed top to bottom. You just see the top and we celebrate the the blitzes, right? But they're feeding all along. And, and, uh, and so, um, you know, I think of staying ahead of them, um, matching the pace of the bait. I think you see a lot of people... Um, throw the lure out there and burn it back. I mean, that is a technique I'll try, but after the other ones haven't worked, I think you match the pace of the bait um, and you look at the anchovy and a peanut butter, it's not that fast. I'm so glad you said that because usually Albies, you know, the saying is if you're reeling fast, you're not reeling fast enough. enough. Yep. Yeah. Well, I don't uh, dismiss that as an option, but I, I definitely feel like um, you, um, and the, you know, and you also, uh, that, that, that heated, uh you know tight bait busting through it i mean there's an awful lot going on let alone the other boats or whatever else who might be hassling you i mean it's easier to be um when you find that structure they'll you'll find that they they probably return you know 15 20 minutes later because they they're they're taking bait balls and they're pushing it against a piece of structure but then they kind of dissipate after the bait's been slashed to shreds or boats have driven through it that's where blind casting really pays off. And mm-hmm. at that point I match, you know, try to look like the bait because it's scattered around. It's not tight anymore. And, and long casts, slow retrieves cover the water. And I, I, I probably had 70% of my Albies blind casting, you know, I'd love to catch them on top, but you know, blitzing, mm-hmm. but uh, honestly um, I, I wrote an article that'll be in on the water this month. And uh, the lead is, um, there's an expression in golf called uh, drive for show and putt for dough. And the same is true with Albie fishing. You know, you might love to catch the Albies up in that top water and all that kind of stuff. It's the best, but the, uh, a, a proven way to, to hook up consistently is to, is to blind cast the structure that they're using to um, overtake and you know, take advantage of the bait. One of the things I've left out so far that I think is a fundamental thing to think about, whether it's stripers or albies or bluefish or whatever, what is the unique physical advantage that that species has? For, for albies, it's eyesight and speed, right? Um, for, for stripers, it's night vision, I guess, and that powerful tail. Stripers are going to feed at night, but they're going to feed in, in big water right? Most aggressively. That's where their physical advantage is greatest, right? 
And then the Albies, it's that speed and eyesight. So um, think about what those physical advantages are. Think about when they can maximize it, you know, and that yep. helps direct you uh, as to where to focus your attention on. So I'm going to take a real quick step back. You did talk sure. about this, but um, like, all right, so we're rolling out the inlet and we don't know where they, we have an idea where they've been. So yep. where do you start looking for like, you know, just top of your head for Albies? Are we looking for like special structures like you were talking about? Are we looking for wrecks, humps? Yeah, I mean, shows? you always kind of start with the hot spots, which are like well-known because mm -hmm. they, they have a repetition to them. But I, I, I found, I remember one day I had a buddy in town and we'd really gone to every hot spot, you know, and didn't barely see a bird or much activity. And uh, we we're rolling through South County where there's a series of breachways. I'm like, next breachway, we turn around, you know, and go get a sausage, egg and cheese to clear defeat, you know. <laughs> and um, there was a little bit of a of a of a uh, a bump in the coastline. It was underwater, but it probably the bottom came up maybe, um, you know, 10 feet or so. Uh, and we're probably in 30 feet of water. And it just aggregated the bait or slowed the bait or it was a speed bump for the bait. And it stalled there. And if you look careful, now the Albies are just moving through, not lighting it up, but having a steady feed. And we hadn't found them anywhere. No real crazy birds on them or anything. But so um, I, I have a lot of faith in the uh, in, in, in thinking about the bottom structure. And what I'm really looking for um, is steep drop-offs. Fish feed on stripers, Albies, everybody feeds on edges. And the favorite Albie edge is, is shallow to deep, a drop-off, Right. Um, and so look for those or just a change. If you got a same bottom as South County place I'm talking about is sand for miles. Right. But, um, there was a, a little rock pile and a, um, and a, uh, you know, came up a little bit and that bump aggregated the bait and there they were, um, after they weren't a whole bunch of other places that you'd expect them to be, but that, that those places where they can corral the bait, a cove or a jetty or something like that. Um, and maybe, um, or, or a reef, and then maybe um, the individual structure you might find on the bottom. But over time, I think you end up with a pretty good book of like, all right, they haven't been in these couple places. Let's look. And, 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 and in that particular situation, not to geek out too bad, <laughs> but they were on, uh, they were on, they were on silver sides, not on the bay anchovies, which are up in the water column. Silver sides are generally more towards the middle of the water column. And that structure kind of paused this i think kind of kicked it off you know it was like a speed bump along a long beach so um i hope that helps but i i think of them as um i like moving water you know middle of the tide and i like steep edges so that's right those would be the two things where i feel like their physical advantage eyesight and speed come into play you know the bait's tumbling tides ripping bait's got its hands full just trying to keep it together literally in a, you know, in a, in a school and they'll work it into a structure and hammer it. I mean, that's Very a good cool. takeaway. Cause I know when me and Bobby use these fishes for them, we pull out an inlet. We don't know where to go. We're just kind of like, let's just drive until we see birds or see fish that's pop up. One. Right. But, that, but, but, but the, the, the fact that you actually pointed out to us that keep an eye out for structures, steep, you know, steep drop-offs and things like that are, are good, a good place to start. Yeah, I found them on a hard structure. I found them, you know, in uh, in, in a, uh, a beach, um, you know, where just the tide was ripping out and it was really steep. And we'd already caught bluefish and striped 
striped bass and we're pulling back into the harbor. Um, this is not here in Newport. It's over uh, in uh, Watch Hill. And we're pulling back into the to the harbor. And uh, I saw a flash and I go, well, uh, let me throw my my fly in there um, and uh, hooked up on an Albi. And in the end, they were literally, it was one of these places where the water was uh, uh, scouring the beach so that really three feet off the beat, beach, you were in six feet of water. So there's that steep drop off with current and the bait was pinned there and it was on. So it's, uh, those are the scenarios you're looking for. Yeah. Very cool. The cool thing about that is I bet you were all by yourself. I bet you there was not. Uh, I, no, I, had a, I had a buddy with me, but um, you know, literally we we're catching them. Uh, and if you both of you guys fish with a fly rod, I roll cast to one and hooked it up. Cool. I mean, they're yeah. really right at your feet. It was pretty nuts. But yeah. That, no, that, I was that, I was talking about the other boaters. You know, I bet you there was no other boats around. Oh no! Right, right, right. And because one of the things that happens with Albies with the run and gun is just mayhem. Yeah. There's bad boat etiquette. I'll call it that happens yes. during the time of the year. Yeah. Um, what do you think about boaters? How do they control that? I mean, everyone's got an urge, you know, and yeah, you know, you see one person. That's a, that's a, I'm glad you brought it up. Cause uh, you know, I think, um, you know, you want to be ahead of the school. You want to, um, you know, not run it over. You know, that's kind of obvious, but it happens every, yeah, it does yeah. all the time. Um, all the time. So think of it as they take that bait ball and they slice it up like a pizza you know, and now the bait's kind of everywhere, uh, and that's maybe the time to do that blind casting. You know, to to pick a piece of water, maybe a piece of structure that's near where this mayhem is, and and put some time into it. You know, I yeah. I think of a place, um, um, that's uh, there's a a reef, and and boy, it's it's a well known place, and you can see them going. Uh, it's a good long reef too, and then um, but you know uh after they run the, the fish have run down this reef, they do kind of get to a bigger open area and it, it opens up and the, and the, uh, the service activity diminishes, but there you've got jazzed up albies and loads of bait. I mean, just about perfect. Right. And uh, so that's the time to blind cast. All right. But the um, boat ad- etiquette would be uh, don't run them over, uh, approach them slowly, get ahead of the school. These would all be good and throw across the school. Um, you know, or, or down towards the school would be the two choices. So the, the one finger wave would not be advisable. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> or clanging the, clanging the epoxy jig off the gel coat. It's right. Yeah, welcome to Jersey, right? That's what yeah. I always That's New Jersey. <laughs> you got to come up to Rhode Island then. <laughs> here's oh, here's nice an invite. Story. My nicer guys up there. Right. So, so, the, so this is for our fly guys, and I've, I've been caught in this situation place in time. Plenty of time, you know, they're frothing all around the boat, like literally right, like a roll cast away. And we're we're throwing flies in there. We're flinging them in there, and they will not touch it. So, okay, what are three good tips for a fly guy like me, Bobby and myself that we could take away that 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 better our chances? We've been in we've been in blitzes where they're everywhere on the boat, and we're throwing everything in our bag at them, and they just they just don't care. I've been there too. Uh, (laughs) but um bring a shotgun is that advice number one to either (laughs) shoot a fish or blow your brains out bring the (laughs) you you break out the cast net out of the back yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, for number one i would um get ahead of the school as best i could and uh i would lay that fly out there a bunny fly or a or a albihor or something like that that's got some movement and let it settle and retrieve it slowly 
so they can see it and and hit it, you know, ahead of the school. Uh, another one would be I might go to a, uh, you know, a 350 um, sinking right. line as opposed to a floater and intermediate just to stay better connected and to settle a little, little deeper. Um, you know, the we talked about edges. There's there's transitions from uh, rock to sand, shallow to deep, uh, you know, uh, like that. But there's also that the, the, the surface is an edge. Right. They push the bait up to that edge and there it's just tight and focused. But below there's um, plenty of uh, that's what's so interesting about uh, watching Albie's feet. It's a really kind of a synchronized mayhem. Right. There's some order to it. You can tell, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't look it sometimes. And so I think, you know, I'd get a bait in uh, a fly ahead of the school and move it slow. I'd go to a sinking line and get below. And then I would, um, uh, and this is my go-to, is to match another predator that could that that would likely be feeding on that bait as well. And to me, I almost always go to a squid. There's, uh, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, snapper blues around. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I've caught uh, black sea bass in an alby blitz. You know, um, you know, so they're in the, they're feeding too, and and uh, little ones. You know, so. Um, that's, uh, uh, a way around that is to, is to totally get out of matching the bait that you see and match the predator that's feeding on the bait that you see. That's very different than what I usually think, which is me cool. too. I always think smaller, better, right? I never thought, let, let me throw on a six to eight inch black streamer to look like a sea bass. Yeah, I would say the six, that four to six inches, the sweet spot. Very you know? cool. The how do you feel about them being leader shy? That's my other thing that I always start messing with, you know, because I think I got too much leader. Their eyesight's good. You never yeah, switch. I mean, them. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be short, but I probably don't go below uh, twelve pound. I usually use sixteen pound. Yeah. Um, I do use fluorocarbon. I might build a you know whether I'm fishing spin. In which case, it's a long leader. It's probably um, you know uh, an Albright or a, an FG to the leader, um, and then you know six feet you know uh good long leader um and uh you know uh i still kind of use a little clip with the albies because i do change a fair amount and if you did that setup you'd be consuming your leader with right. knots pretty pretty readily right yeah um, on the fly side and i still use i use fluorocarbon in both for the leader and spin or the tippet and i do that because of the uh abrasion resistance you know you talk about um um, fluorocarbon and you hear a lot about how it's invisible and that's that's tr you know true but i don't think of it as the reason to use it. the reason to use it is it's generally smaller in the same diameter than uh, mono so fluoro at, at 16 pound would be uh, rather uh yeah fluoro at 16 pounds going to be smaller than mono at 16 pound right so i finish with fluoro and then it's it's harder it's got abrasion resistance albie's got a little bit of teeth to him so um, I like having the abrasion resistance there as well. Yep. Um, you use tippet? Uh, what's it? Yeah, yeah. Use a, probably a. Um, so I might build a leader. If we talk fly for a quick sec, um, you know, my leader, my butt is fifty percent of the leader length. So if I'm going to do albies, it might be nine foot leader, right? Four and a half feet are if I'm coming off a nine weight, might be you know forty pound or a ten weight, call it forty pound. Because you really want to drive that turnover as far down the leader as you can. 
Because if it turns into a hot mess at the very end, at least it's a short hot mess. Right. right? <laughs> uh, and so uh, with wind and, and boats bounce and all that that you have when you alby fish, I think it's important to, to power that um, that energy as far down that uh, fly line of leader as you can. So then I'd step it down to maybe from that 40 to two feet of 30 and a foot of 20 and then then uh, maybe two feet of 16 floral, something yeah. close to that. You know, there's all kinds of recipes. Um, I, that's a general guideline for me and I don't geek out on it you know but oh, I, the idea of of i, I believe albies are uh, from for the fly guy are about one of the most challenging um species you can target because you can throw a 70 foot rope that way and they're going to pop up 20 feet behind you hmm. right and so you have to you know and you have to be able to cast backhand and all that and so i think having a overbuilt leader that drives the energy at least squeezes the last bit of it out is a, probably a good idea yeah. No, the reason I asked the question is because I just actually took a trip to the Seychelles. Um, and I never thought about this at all, but they're so anti-tippet out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's for two reasons. Yeah, those are shock tippets, right? I mean, they're using... No, even even for like bonefish and, and everything, there's the no tippet. And it's for two reasons. One, uh, it introduces a knot and maybe the knot can be seen by the fish. So you just give them one other thing to tip them off. So, it, so it, it, they use a single extruded leader. Single, yep, no knots in it. It's it's yeah. completely tapered. One tapered leader down to a fly. Yeah. Um, and the other reason is because you're just introducing that knot that the fish can see and that knot, which is usually the place where it breaks, right? Sure. And, and there's a little difference for us because, you know, if we lose an Albi, it's sad. But out there, if they lose a GT because the knot's no good, it's a big deal, right? It's totally uh, big deal. But, but it has me thinking about tippets these days because I'm always tippet. I love tippet. I don't like to waste money on buying a new leader and ruining yeah, it. So and- here's just here's here's um, uh, something I learned. This is years ago. But, um, you know, the, the, the Orvis marketing department would have a lot of talented fly fishermen in it, right? Talented fly fishermen. Um, and they brought an Instron machine over there, which measures brake strength, right? Yep. And they had like five of their guys um, tie you know, five knots each of the same thing, maybe a clinch. I can't, you know, I don't remember the details. This, the message is, it's the, it's the, sto- it's the uh, takeaway. Um, and they all tied them and they all tested out and they varied by 20%. Hmm. It was not 20% between the five guys. It was 20% between one guy's five knots. Okay. So you have to get really good at only a couple knots and tie them well. You know, I know people that know 80 knots and presses the shit out of me, but uh, boy, I've got a couple, you know, I use the clinch, that, that uh, mono, non-slip mono loop, you know what I mean? And I use a lot of uni to uni to build my leader or double surgeons. When I fish at night, um, the double surgeon's just easier, but I mean, only a handful of knots because they, your ability to tie a given knot is what the issue is. It's not yeah. you have the right knot, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a very uh, kind of shocking thing to learn, knowing that how uh, talented a crew must be, like uh, the Orvis marketing department, to have those kind of uh, that kind of uh, result surprised me. Yeah, no, I I tie three knots. Uh, I know the difference for me is I tie a blood knot, which is not one you want to tie in the dark. But exactly, exactly, it's what I, it's what I was taught, and it's my bread and butter. So that's what yeah. I do, you know. that covers any other questions bob i think i have well i have one point before we do our favorite question that we always ask yeah 
um, because we didn't talk about his own podcast. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and oh, why don't we why don't we advertise a little bit for you? Tell us about your podcast. Yeah. And what do you cover that. and, and yeah. who do we? Yeah. So the Saltwater Rights podcast. It's um you can it's all um uh, on the blog and you know through all the the uh, podcast services you might use. Um, but we focus on surf, fly, and inshore fishing, conservation on occasion, um, and uh, really try to talk tackle and tactics. You know, um, had we had Coral on, um, uh, and then um, a variety of captains. I had Bob Popovics, a, a big fly tire from New Jersey, yeah. uh, Tom Rosenbauer from Orvis, um, and then uh, a bunch of really um, just. Uh, it's, it's a it's a treat for me because I get to ask questions that I would want to ask that guy anyway, you know. <laughs> but I get to do it under the uh, under the guise of uh, being a service to everybody else, right? But uh, we really try to make them. Um, it's one of the benefits I think of the saltwater edge being so surf fly inshore tight focused that you know I don't know that there's any good fisherman that doesn't recognize that maybe if he likes to fish with a surf rod, he might learn something from the fly guy or the inshore guy who might pick up a tip from a surf guy. Right. So I think mm-hmm. it, it, since it's pretty tight, uh, the, the uh, topics uh, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of, uh, um, you know, learning, but um, yeah, so it's uh tackling tactics and then um, um, sort of a surf line inshore focus. But um, I have a question that I asked last of, well, I should actually, I might be blowing it, but here I'll slip it in. The, the, uh, I'd love to get a guy at the end of the podcast and say, you have one day left on earth. What are you fishing for? And look at the two of you. Uh, <laughs> I know exactly what I'm looking for. fishing for sheep's head. That's a, What's I, that? I, I, I like fish. I mean, I like fishing for sheep's head, but if I only had one day left, I'm not fishing for sheep's head. Right. I'm going. I'm. I'm. I'm going GT fishing. Yes, I'd say you, uh, uh, Bobby. You're probably going back to the Seychelles. No, no I probably, probably go. I probably go steelheading. Oh, that's a good one. So yeah. anyway, what you, you know, I've seen some people really struggle with that answer. You know, because fishing so much a part of their lives. Yeah. And they've had so much. And, 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 you know, I think if you ask 10 people, you get 10 different reasons why people fish. Mm-hmm. You know sure. what I mean? To be with yeah. my dad, it's to, to um, you know, my grandfather taught me, like me, um, to be with my kids, to get away from my kids. I mean, they're all they're all uh, reasons why we fish. Right. Um, but it's uh, but one of the guys had a great answer. And he's a, one, he's literally the best fisherman I know. And he said, um you know, and he's caught everything. Everything he catches is bigger than what you caught of the same species, uh, you know, always. So anyway, um, he goes, um, I'd go offshore, northeast canyons, and uh, see what we catch that day, and don't bring me back. Huh. I was like, that's an answer. <laughs> don't even bring me back. It's a little yeah. morbid, honestly. <laughs> it was really, it was really cool. Really yeah. cool. Okay, I like All that. Right. I, I like that answer. That's a very yeah, good we, complexity. We we wrap up a little differently. <laughs> Not morbid. <laughs> a little happier. Because <laughs> we um we don't want to know your last day, but we just want to know where you're going next. Mm-hmm. So give me your three bucket list fish. Where do you want to go? What do you want to catch? Maybe it's a GT. 
well, back to the Seychelles to catch a GT. Okay. That 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 was uh that was uh, uh, uh pretty good too. Uh, I was with the guide, um, and uh, there was another guy in the front of the boat who was fishing for triggerfish. You know. Oh. Oh, I know. I know all about triggerfish. And I saw a um. You know, it's it's coral, but it m- mounts to a jetty. You know, it's yeah. a, a, just a peninsula. Where where were and, you, Peter? Before you get uh, into Farquhar, Farquhar. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I, was, yeah. I was on Alphonse. And, oh yeah, that place is pretty fancy. The uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the uh, water ripped around the edge, or you could see the current going around the edge, and I could see some mullet there. And I go to the guy. Is it okay if I get out? And he's like, Yeah, sure, whatever. You know, because he's focused on the other guy. <laughs> and I got over there held my fly in my hand and waited and not two minutes later four or five backs come around the corner and awesome. I laid the fly in there stripped it once and I was tight you see the guides like holy shit jumping out of the boat you know trying to get over there <laughs> but it was using striper tactics you know I read the water it's just exactly where I'd throw for stripers and uh I just recognized the same situation so there'd be that um there'd be uh Probably something here, either stripers on the flats or albies. And then I, I love to fish in the Bahamas, uh, mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so um, if I had last three opportunities, oh, it, but shit, man, probably steelhead too. Yeah. Um, maybe the West Branch of the Delaware. So <laughs> you got oh. me. You know? Oh, oh. Yeah. But Bobby has something with the West Branch. You can you, you make things happen there too. A, a long standing relationship. Long, yeah. I, yeah. I may or may not be up there. I may or may not have moused this weekend. So oh, good. Things. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I, I love the fact you guys get out there. I mean, it's one of the things I think saltwater edge wise that um, I'm probably, you know, uh, I'm really happy with is that, you know, the guys that work there uh, and some women are passionate fishermen. You call on the telephone, you talk to someone who fished yesterday or, you know, recently or, or actually, I don't know a whole bunch about, uh, you know, bottom fishing, but Tom does and hand the phone off to Tom, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, one of the things we get a lot of positive feedback on, you know, is that we actually fish and it's, you're talking to both you guys, you, you got off the water earlier today and uh, Bobby was mousing this weekend. So, I mean, that's, that's the way. It's our life. We love it. Yep. Absolutely. Well, cool. that's, well, that's perfect. That, that it was three bucket list fish, but also three locations too. So we'll accept that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, that, that uh, it is. Uh, um, I think if there's a common theme for me, uh, it is I like to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, I like sight fishing, whether it's a you know uh, a striper or a bonefish or or anything can find in shallow water. Um, I I I I love uh, in the surf. I love uh, thinking about um, you know where a fish is in a boulder field you know, in the white water. And, and so to me, that's sight fish. You might not actually see the fish in advance, but you're breaking it down to here's where I want to focus my attention, you know, um, and getting rewarded when you do that, putting a puzzle together is probably is the gratifying part. You know, that's the part yeah. I enjoy the most. Always, always. When you can always plan something and it just falls together. Perfect. It comes together. Yeah. Yeah. That's not steelheading. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Agree. Yeah, steelhead is all about frozen toes, can't feel my fingers, frozen guides, and everything in between. I was explaining to my wife just what you just described. And, you know, sometimes she might say, you know, like shake her head, like, I don't know why you do that. But this one was like, that sounds awful. 
(laughs) (laughs) It's another level of, oh my God, you're a moron, you know? (laughs) Yeah, but you're, I mean, she has no idea when it finally does come together. Yes. I'm not talking Pulaski. I'm talking like out West, the shoots. Oh, really? Clearwater, like Clearwater Steelhead, like when it finally comes together. Yeah. You have no idea, right? Well, I, I really enjoy the 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 streams uh, west of Buffalo. You know, uh, there's seven streams there uh, between Buffalo and Erie. Yeah, and you're in one of them, or some even a couple of them. If you're willing to walk, you're gonna find them. Yeah, and I, I really enjoy that. I don't do it enough, but I really enjoy that. Yeah, I have a, a lot I'm of the seven that. bucket list. I apologize. There you go. Yeah, we're Not still going different directions. <laughs> His, his bucket's pretty. His bucket. His bucket's pretty big. So you know. <laughs> All right, but well, you know, it is about that time. We we're gonna have to start ending this podcast. But uh, last but not least, Peter, uh, <laughs> let our listeners know where they can find info on the shop, uh, the ASGA, and sure. also your podcasts. You know, so everyone else can listen in on what interesting guests than you guys had. I appreciate that. So saltwateredge.com. Um. And as I said, I think it's a place, uh, we tried to build a place that you can go to buy something or to learn something. And so in the upper right-hand corner is Learn button. And the blog's there. We publish a fishing uh, forecast every two weeks. Um, all the podcast stuff, lots of tackle and tactics um, for Albies, for Stripers, for you know just about everything. And then um, pretty full selection of surf line inshore products at saltwateredge.com. Podcast on most of the players. Uh, ASGA, uh, American Saltwater Guide Association podcast, as you mentioned, is um, called The Guidepost. It's a great way to get up to speed on complex topics. I think, like I said, I think our real um, ability is to take something big and make it uh, consumable. And then when people understand and are confident, then they then they participate. They find their voice. It's intimidating, but you get there. And, uh, you know, uh, as the Guide Association, I think our our, our product is, uh, our business is to create advocates, you know? And so, uh, appreciate, uh, you guys, uh, let me speak to that a little bit because I think it's an important part of going forward. You know, we've never had more anglers. We've never had better technology. We've never had more, um, changing dynamic, um, fish stocks, you know, shifting where they live and, you know, the pressure on them and all that. And we have to take a long-term viewer, we're going to lose some things that we love. So, um, you know, appreciate the opportunity to speak to it. Absolutely. You got it. Kudos to you, by the way. You know how I know you're the real deal? <laughs> How's when that? You, when you advertise your shop, you say you can either buy something or you can learn something. Yeah. And I think somebody who didn't care and was only in this for the money would say you could buy something and learn something. Yeah. But you said, or learn something. So you didn't have right. to go in your shop and buy anything. You could just go in there, get some knowledge and leave. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. We, we want a long-term relationship. Yep. yep. And that, that's the real deal right there. That's, that's, that's Peter Jenkins at heart, I think right there. I appreciate that. Thank you. Definitely. We're going to have to stop by the shop one day, Bobby, just on well, our I'm way. Not, no, no, it's not that. Place. You guys got to come up. You, you don't come anywhere near this place. They'll let me know. Okay. okay. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> and two, if you can get your shit together and come for Al- some part of Albany season, uh, jump on my boat and we'll go out, make a go of it. Absolutely. Oh, 100%. We'll do that after we hop on Coral's boat. Hey, oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Double whammy. Double whammy all in one yeah, shot. There's a road trip, boys. 
<laughs> don't tempt us with a good time we'll, we'll take that offer any day but uh once again thank you peter it My was pleasure. it was a very awesome show we learned so much stuff there's so many takeaways i'm gonna have to re-listen to this myself especially with albies because it drives us nuts and the fact that you know you've had so many years experience it with albies and for you to share that knowledge with us like the the motto of our podcast has always been we always try to educate as much as we can right. from from young anglers up to you know veterans you know what i mean everyone it's we're sponges right every day is a learning process so right. for us to be able to bring different guests especially like yourself and you know coral and like all those other anglers out there everyone has it in a way of they doing things yeah so for them to tell us how they do it opens up the world of imagination you know for I us you know, you know like for, mm -hmm. we have a customer that comes in that wants it all explained to them and they lack curiosity they're never going to be any good at this anyway right right and so uh it's not an interrogation it's a back and forth and you are where you are on your journey you know what i mean um i'm you know uh i enjoy jig and pop tuna fishing too but i don't do it enough but i'm really curious you know so that's how you yep. that's how you get better at something sounds great all right. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hopping on and listening to another episode of the Tide Chasers podcast. Once again, if you want to learn more stuff about uh, Peter Jenkins' shop, just check out Saltwater's Edge, his podcast at Saltwater's Edge, and also the ASGA uh, uh, podcast. They're they're on there. The guidepost, very interesting, has a lot of information on there. Uh, besides that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to start wrapping this up once again. Thank you, Peter. It was an honor to have you on board My with pleasure. us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. And uh, besides that, guys, stay out there, keep fishing, and keep those lines tight. Take care. It's, fo it's football season coming. It's yeah, it is. I'm Steve, boys. Double, <laughs> it's double football season. We get the NFL <laughs> and we get Albie Fever. All right. Have a great night, everyone. Tight lines. want to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest oh. tune in to west marines life on the water presented by costa custom boats every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv spend your saturdays with life on the water join captain brandon simmons for fishing diving travel and so much more you want to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest oh look at that thing dude wow. oh. <laughs> let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today don't miss life on the water every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment